All right, well, Happy New Year. Haven't seen you since 2022. So good to have you here this morning. My name is Tony. I'm pastor here at LAFC. If you are new, we welcome you here uh, this morning. And, uh, and for those of you that had in, were engaging with us through the, the holiday season, then you would know that on Christmas Sunday, we, we provided a video that we worked on that could be done as part of your home. And, uh, and so we had some fun moments in that where, some, you know, the reading of scripture in Luke 2 from several of our, our young people and then uh, face plant into our baptistry by one of our youth pastors. Uh, and then we had uh, also uh, some riding through the church on a golf cart, which we do not recommend. Um, actually, we would like you to not. Uh, and then on top of that, I shared some things from Scripture that day, but I got a feeling most of you have no idea what I said. Here's why. My dog was on my lap yawning the entire time. Seven times my dog yawned. Charlie Brown had a moment like that where Snoopy was like yawning and like going to sleep. And he goes, oh, good grief. My own dog thinks I'm boring. And, uh, and I felt like I had that moment. So uh, if you can, um, there was some actual important things I shared. And so hopefully uh, you were able to capture that through the, the moment of my canine having his his day. So anyway, having said that, uh, we are now in a new year, and this is an opportunity to turn the page. And what we would like to do is to go into scripture and speak to what we believe is the primary mission of LEFC. Now, every church that that is looking at Scripture and finds their direction from Scripture is going to have a similar mission because we're using the same text. We might use different words to communicate the same thing. Uh, but we have a primary mission, and we want to speak to that today. And so we're going to be in the text. We're going to, the first thing I'm going to have you turn to is Matthew chapter 22. So there are ushers with Bibles that are going to come down the aisle now. If you do not have a Bible, they'd be glad to provide you one. We also utilize the version app, which is Y-O-U version app. You can download that onto your phone. Go into the events tab on that, and you'll find several churches that are local. And, uh, and we're one of them, usually one or two in the slot. And you can tap on that, and you'll get all the scriptures we'll be using here this morning. So having said that, as I said, that we have a primary mission here. And if you were to, if you're visiting today, it's possible that you looked at our website to find out who we are. And there's a tab there that you can click on. And then under who we are, we have several different options to look at. But you're going to see this statement, and it's going to be up on the screen. And it says this, The mission of LEFC is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We do this by sharing Christ in our relational worlds and pouring into the lives of others. We seek to be people who love God, love people, live truth, and proclaim Jesus. Now, these things are not just our own creative idea. They're, they're ways of communicating in our culture things that are rooted and found in Scripture. And the primary places that we pull from are known as the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. And so in the Great Commission... Uh, it says this, and it'll be on the screen. It says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now Jesus spoke these words as a final statement and charge to those who had been following along with him for three years. And he wanted them to be uh, living out the mission that he had lived out. He came, and in those three years, he fulfilled what God wanted of them. And now he pays it forward. He wants them to take on this mission and ultimately becoming the church. And the church is called to go into all the world making disciples. Disciples being those who have, are choose, have chosen a teacher and are choosing to follow that teacher's teachings and modeling that teacher, becoming like him. And then when we go into all nations or wherever our feet take us, because not all of us are going to get to other parts of the world, but we all are going to, as a church, we're going to invest in it. So when you give here at LEC, it's going to not only local mission, but it's going to global mission. Because we believe this is the calling of the church. So, but wherever our feet take us, we're disciple makers. And that's where in that statement, the mission of LAC is to make disciples. We do this by sharing Christ in our relational worlds. What is the Greek term for relational world? Oikos. We have the most intelligent Greek-knowing congregation in the county. Oikos, that is the Greek term that is utilized in the original language of the New Testament to define that relational world or, or those people that we do life with enough where we have influence with them. And so literally we are called to make disciples in those relational worlds because that's a place where God has planted you uniquely to minister to those people. And then, as we look at this, we're saying, okay, we are to call to do this until he returns, until the end of the age. So what are we doing? We're making disciples. And we're, when people become that disciple, they proclaim it themselves by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then we teach them the truths about him and how he lived and what he taught so that we live those things out as he commanded. And after when you study the life of Christ and you're saying, okay, if we're becoming disciples of Jesus... And we're going to be like him as our teacher and like him in the way he lived. Then we have some things to learn about him, right? And so what we've done is to simplify. We recognize that all of us here, okay, we're called to become a follower of Jesus, looking like Jesus. How can we simplify this to where we can kind of do a self-check on these things? And then that's where, after studying the life of Jesus, uh, our pastoral team uh, several years ago took time to study the life of Jesus and, and say, how can we just simplify this where people can just ask quickly of themselves, are they becoming more and more like Jesus? And that's where we get the phrase, love God, love people, live truth, and proclaim Jesus. Now, I have a question for you all. Did you notice when you came in the doors today that those four statements were on our doors as you came in? It's brand new. Just put them up this week. And because uh, we want to mark it. So as you go out, you'll see them backwards. So you'll need to go out into the parking lot, look back, and see love God, love people, live truth, and proclaim Jesus. Because that is what we're all about. When you look at Jesus, 
Those are the things he embodied. Those are kind of headers over many things in his life. But he definitely loved his father. He loved his father so much that he began to love what he loves, which is loving people. And then he lived out truth and he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And so we get to proclaim Jesus. So as we go into this series, we're going to begin with the header of it all, to love God with all our being. Now, when we talk about this, love is actually at the core of the essence of life. And so you might think that as the, a great philosopher, the, philosopher from the 1980s asked this question, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? But it's a second-hand emotion. What's love got to do with it? When every heart can simply be broken. You know? I got a feeling that Tina Turner had a little bit of love issues and relational issues. But she's asking the right question. What does love have to do with it? And if you hear what Jesus says, the answer is everything. Everything. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to read starting in verse 36. And the context to this is Jesus is very soon going to be tried and crucified and he will soon die. But in the process of figuring out a way where they could entrap him, and make him guilty so that they can actually accomplish killing him. They were trying to figure out ways of entrapping him theologically and so on. And so two political camps, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, are figuring out together. They're the religious uh, sects of that day. And they're trying to figure out, like, how can we make Jesus indict himself so that we can kill him and not be guilty of anything wrong? So... They had tried several things, made several statements, uh, but then one of them comes up with this idea. Let's ask them about what's great. So verse 36, one of them saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most people stop there. But what does verse 40 say? All the law and all the prophets hang on those two commandments. Which means that this portion of your scripture that they had at the time, which would have been the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, all that had been written before Jesus came, all hang on the two statements of commandments known as the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Everything holds from that. So Jesus is basically saying, the greatest thing you can do is to love God. Let's simplify it right down to that. You can even take away for a moment, if we can, love people, live truth, proclaim Jesus. If you love God, 
with all that he just describes, where it says, with all your heart, soul, and mind, if you love God, I don't have to worry about whether you'll love people, live truth, or proclaim Jesus, because it will happen. Love God, loving him, is the most important thing you can do. And when you're truly in a love relationship with him, what is upon his heart comes upon your heart. And then you will live that out. So where did Jesus draw this from? Because they didn't argue with him. If you go back into the text of Matthew or Luke or John or Mark, you're going to find that Jesus had multiple counters where he asked people, what's the greatest thing you can do? And they would answer, love God with your whole being. And then Jesus would often help them with saying, well, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself because that was often left out. There were times he was asked the same thing. So this isn't the first this has come up. But when he was on trial, and this was the thing that they were looking to entrap him, they understood this is true. Everything hangs on the statement that we're to love God with our whole being. So it's drawn from Matthew or De Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible. It's towards the beginning of your scriptures. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to be in chapter 6 for a moment. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this statement, you know, he says this is the first and greatest commandment. That's what Jesus said. Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, you were like, well, that's not the first commandment. So where is this coming from? Well, the commandments were written, but this is the overarching commandment over even the ten. All right? So verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Let me say it again. They see this as the core. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, in this text, we need to understand something that, that when this was given to the Israelite nation, this was countercultural to the very region of the world that they were part of. In the Near East, it was very much a, a polytheistic culture. Many gods, all having their own domain and their own strengths. And to choose one god over another was to do so at the risk of alienating one of the other gods. Because if you choose one god and you start exalting him so much that it comes at the expense of another, you might be putting yourself at great risk. So to highlight and to say, no, 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 there is one god. There is one god. And he is to be exalted as the one and only god was a distinctive of the Hebrew faith, of the Jewish faith. They, they, there is not, they hold to this. In fact, as you, if you were to go on and read the rest of the scripture, it gives some directions on how to teach our children that hear, O Israel, or hear, dear children of my home, 
Know that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It gives us some ways that we can cement that upon our kids. In fact, I go over this every time we prepare parents for dedicating their children. But in this case, I need to help you understand something. Because we just heard that in the Great Commission, that Jesus says we're to go into all the world making disciples of all nations, and we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't sound like one. That sounds like three. We know it as the Trinity. But in this text, when you see it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, singular, our God, plural. The Lord is one. So back to singular and one. We know that as scripture teaches, even beginning in Genesis, when it talks about the creation of the earth, it speaks of God plurally. Not that there's multiple gods that don't function together, but rather God who is one in three persons. He has a son who operates in complete unity with them. He has a spirit who embodies them all together. And so they three in one operate as the one God. So Jesus, when he's saying, what's the greatest command? To love the Father with all your heart, soul, and mind. In the text here, it were to love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength. And that word, Hebrew word that we're getting, the English word all, is significant as well. As it says, totality, all-encompassing, no part withheld. No part withheld. Which ultimately means we are to love, our love for God is to be of such intensity that our whole being is driven by our love for him. That love for God is to be of such intensity that your whole being is being driven by that love. So if he is saying by all totality, all encompassing a whole aspect of you, no part of you withheld, he's saying that each and every time when he says, so in totality of your heart, no part of your heart withheld, no part of your soul withheld, the total aspect of your soul, and with all your strength, nothing withheld, all of it full in. That is how we're to love God. But let me break it down even more. When the Hebrew language, which, by the way, is very poetic, typically, when it's written, it's speaking with a lot more emotion than, a lot, than the Greek text. Well, I love Greek in, in the sense of being able, it's a lot easier to interpret. Hebrew is way more difficult. But Hebrew, once understood, is so beautiful. And when he speaks of heart, when the Hebrew writer uses the term heart in this way, it's referring to the seat of your emotion, the seat of your thought. It's your inner being or the relational aspect by the depth of who you are, the inner person, how it interrelates with other. So when the Hebrew writer says here, no part withheld from the depth of your being and how you would interrelate passionately, thoughtfully, from the depth of your being towards other, and in this case, God. That your heart is all in. 
I like how these commentarians put this in that seat of emotion, but also the idea it's that relational point of connection. So if we are engaging a God who we cannot see, which again, is part of the challenge, is it not? We can't see the tangible, literal God before our eyes. But we can see the evidence of God all around us. And what he's saying is that we are to engage him relationally from the fullness of our passions and our emotions, not withholding anything back from him. When you think about love, more often than not, we think of it in terms of falling in love. I mean, we'll say we love some type of food or we love some kind of activity or we love some sports team or whatever, but when we really talk about the purity of love, we often go to some kind of uh, marriage relationship. And when we think about the idea of passionate pursuit, when your heart fully engages to the point where it's like all my thoughts and emotions are going there, it changes everything. I joked earlier with saying we want to feel and aspire to love between us and our spouses or between us and our children or between us and our friends or between us and coworkers. The reality is, is that we do want to have some experience of love between those that we operate with and us. But when you find something that is so special that it drives your whole being, you're all in and it can totally change your life. I was known as somebody, my parents are here, which is always risky to talk about the past. But they know that I dated and dated often and dated many different people. I was very good at pursuing, but I only went to a certain extent. And this carried into the fact that my son likes to point out that I've bought three engagement rings in my life. Now, I've only proposed twice. I'm really setting myself to look good, right? But when I met my wife, you know, I passionately pursued her initially, but only in part. And she knows this. And my in-laws are here, which is also risky to tell this story. (laughs) But there was a point where I realized there was something different about how I was beginning to feel towards her. And when I realized that, it changed everything. My pursuit of her was not in part. It was whole. It was complete. And I know my wife saw a difference when that happened because it was about six months into our dating relationship. I know my in-laws noticed it. And my parents, (laughs) they certainly noticed it too because I wasn't quite as fickle about it. And then you go all in. (laughs) like I said and they're all on this side so I'm feeling like (laughs) pulling over here my in-laws are up there my parents are down here my wife's right here but the point is is it changes everything when you're all in and then you commit and you don't struggle to commit when you're all in God knows this because God designed it he wants a relationship with us He doesn't want to just lord over us. And so he knows that if we discover his love, 
then our love will reciprocate back towards him where it's not in part of us, not just a portion of us. It's the whole of us will engage him. So the heart is one thing. It's that interrelational aspect where we go all in. But the word soul comes next. So what's the difference between heart of a person and the soul of a person? Well, soul, according to the, the Hebrew interpreters, they would say it would be like that life force. It's the essence behind it. It's our very breath or the immaterial part of our being. In other words, what makes us a person is the soul. So God says, I want you to love me. And I don't want you to love me in part. I want you to love me as a whole and, 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 and whole of you. And I want your, all your emotions and your passions to be coming towards me. And I want you to find that, that you're easy, easily able to do it because you find that the very existence that you have on this day says, I want that relationship with God. Because to say, I love him and I'm willing to give all my passions towards him, he's saying, no, I want your whole being. I want the fact that when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, that you're deciding, I love God. And my existence today is because I love him and I want to serve him. It's the very essence of who you are. And then thirdly, when he mentions the idea of strength, Again, he is speaking to that totality, no part withheld. And this is almost a doubling down of the two terms. Because all, if it means all in and to like no, no, nothing in part, strength is meant to define the degree by which you do it. The quantity or how much. So in other words, to say the effort that you give in passionately loving God with the fullness of your being is the greatest exertion of your strength and effort that it so far surpasses anything else. We're to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Nothing withheld. It's passionate, it's all encompassing. And it's everything we've got that goes into it. That's the kind of love that God wants us to give back to him. Now, for what it's worth, it's not like God is asking of us something that he didn't already do. Think about it. Did God withhold anything from us when it came to showing his love and reconciling us back into relationship with him. Did he withhold anything? No. In fact, he went to the furthest end and said, I'm willing to give up my own son for the sake of you. Jesus is the one that says, no greater love as, as any man than this than he would lay down his life for his friends. What about when the father says, greater love has no man than this, then I would send my son to die for those who are even hand, holding their fist up at me and rebelling. Because we know from scripture it says that while we were still yet sinners, 
in direct rebellion to God, Christ died for us. So the Father, his love was not withheld. The wholeness of his being said that I created you in my image. I'm going to do whatever it takes to the greatest end of my strength to reconcile the people I've created back to me. And then this is where Jesus comes into the picture, where we become disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus now lives out that which is the heart of God. So even though we cannot see God right before our face, we can see Jesus. We can see how he lived. We've got the fullness of his life right here on the page that we can look at. And we can know the love of God by how Jesus lived it out. I mean, think about it. He's the one that says, you'll, you'll know the ones who love me by those who obey me. Yet we know that in John chapter 14 that Jesus says, Father, when praying to the Father, I have come to obey you so that I can reconcile people to you. We also know from out of the opportunity when he was on the cross, what does he say? Father, it is finished. Fulfilling that which had been asked of him. Philippians 2, which we studied throughout the, the Advent season, talks about Jesus humbling himself because he was being obedient to the Father. So Jesus lived out what it means to be obedient, to show love. He also showed and modeled what is very common in our storylines. We all have parents. Some of you model that which your mom did at home. Some of you model what your father did at home. And you live those things out. You, you begin to show those strengths through you. Jesus too says, everything I do, I've watched the father do. Everything he's done, he's watched the Father do it before. And it's also true that when he came on mission, as he's sending us on mission, that he lived out the very things we're talking about, where he loved his Father, and he loved the people he's serving that God sent him to, and he lives out truth. Even when truth was being distorted all around him, Jesus kept cutting through and guiding us to truth. And he always proclaimed God is about saving people. He proclaimed the kingdom, and so we proclaim Jesus. And in John chapter 17, he talks about the joy that he and the Father has in being with each other and the joy he takes in glorifying the Father. So too, he prayed for our joy, that as we glorify the Father, as we live out for the Father, that the joy would be found in us that is found between the two of them. And he even prays again and speaks that he wants others to see the love that is between Jesus and the Father so that we can learn how to love the Father. Now, one of the challenges about using this term love, which is, you know, our English word to describe what he's speaking of, is that we often get poor definitions of love. I mean, honestly, the number one teacher of what love looks like is Hollywood. How many hours do you receive love's definition from Hollywood as compared to love's definition from Scripture and the Word of God? I, I mean, even the most, you know, those who are most conservative in their TV watching still probably accounts for more hours of receiving from the secular culture what love's definition is. So let's just cut to the chase and use only the biblical definition of love and not what 
Hollywood elites would say when they get married to someone and say, this person is, is, you know, the breath of my lungs and they mean everything to me. And then three years later, sometimes six months later, they're divorcing because they say, well, we discovered we, we, we have fallen out of love. We've found other things to go towards and it's just better and the world is better if we're not together. Somehow in that, we're supposed to see that love actually existed. So 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. So if you could turn back towards the end of your Bibles, uh, to Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 13. I'm just going to read uh, 4 to 7. And in this text, it speaks to what love is and what love is not. So this is to clean up the mess that Hollywood has given us. All right? So verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So let's start with the positive. What is love? What, 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 is lo- what love is and versus what love is not. So patient. Love is patient. It, it's going to always be long-suffering with someone that they want to show love to. It's going to show kindness. Love will also rejoice in truth, even when the truth is hard. And it's been received from somebody who's maybe saying a hard thing to you, but they know that if they don't tell you, it will be to your detriment. And so you rejoice in the truth that you're receiving. Love also always protects. It's protecting of the integrity of another person. It always trusts. It's working to build that foundation of trust. And always perseveres, doesn't give up. I summarize it as this. True love is driven by the betterment of other. What is love not? Well, it's not envy. Envious. I mean, envy says, I I like what you have and I want it for myself. Boastful. Love is not thinking like, look at me. See what a stud you married, Kristen. Why are you all laughing? No, it's not boastful. It's not making you look better so that the other might like you more. It's not proud. It's not speaking so high of itself. (laughs) Just a little tip on dating because I've been interacting with a lot of people who are dating. And on some of the dates, a lot of the guys start to talk about what they're good at. On first date, not a good idea. Maybe it's better to ask, so what's going on in your life? What are you good at? So tip, that's starting the relationship in the right place where you're more about hearing about the other person. And then let them ask about you. Dishonoring. Don't, you know, a person that's truly loving of other people isn't worried about lowering the view of others in front of others so that you get more exalted. No, it's always going to be about honoring people. Love does not seek itself and its own gains. It's looking for the gains of others. It's also not easily angered where you get put off by when you're maybe something's not done exactly well for you and it bettered somebody else that you're not so easily angered by that. And man, love does not just keep righting the wrongs that you've done and then throwing it in the face of the other person. 
these are all the things you've done wrong with me. And love does not delight when things are done in evil. You see, if I was to summarize this, it's all about a false kind of love is all about self. It's all about self. So going back, Jesus says, the most important thing any of you can do is to love God. But to not just love him, but to love him with the intensity of your entire life, that there's nothing withheld, that your passions, your heart, your emotions are all aimed at at God himself and desiring a relationship with him, and that the essence of your being is all in, and you're doing so with great strength. So how would I write that down on paper for you to take away? I would write it this way. We are to love God from the totality of our hearts and that all that drives you from within. We're to love God from the totality of our heart, the wholeness of our heart, that all that, that, all that you're driven by comes from that love of God. Number two, to love God from the depth of your soul that it becomes the energy of your life. It's the very essence for why you exist and you see it as your purpose is to love him. And thirdly, is to love God from the greatest use of your strength where you hold nothing back. It's not in part, you're all in. Let's pray. So Father God, I recognize and acknowledge that there are days when I'm not all in. Part of it is because I've become self-serving, self-seeking. Or I let anger sidetrack me. Or I let something else that's more about me get in the way. But when I consider all that you have done for me, what you've done for us, that you were all in and you did not withhold anything to express your love, for us. Your love was protecting us. Your love was saving us. Your love redeems us. And without your love, we would not be saved and have hope. So of course, someone who's paid such a great price for us, how can we not love you with our heart, soul, and strength to the greatest degree possible? So Lord, if there's people in here that have come in here numb of heart, where their heart has grown cold in their love for you, would you prick that heart right now and set a new fire in it? If there are people that came in that did not know you, that you would just reveal to them and the light bulbs go off and realize that they have just sat and heard a message from your heart that is a love letter and give of themselves to you. So may this song cause our hearts to, to stay stronger, to become more from the depth of our soul and, and our being and from our heart, singing to you what you are worthy of, our praise. So I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who you sent out of love. Amen. Would you stand, please?
I had a real hard time not getting into next week's sermon today. Because if you know anything about scripture, it says, because God so loved us intensely like he did, the natural automatic response is, is the best way to love him is by loving other people the way he loved us. And so next week, we're going to be in 1 John 4. If you want to do some pre-reading, please go there. But I want to read verses 9 and 10 to close our service today, where it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the story of love. That the great love of God sent his son to die for you and I so that the sins that separate us from him could be covered by that sacrifice. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of God doing what? Advocating on your and my part and on our behalf. And so that love is something that, that he is even showing now and so as believers, we get the opportunity to live that out. And so if you came in today and saying, feeling like, you know, my love for God is waning, let me encourage you to go back and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study the life of Jesus, because by studying the life of Jesus, you learn the heart of God. And when you do that, you're going to see the transformation in your own life. You could also possibly watch maybe The Chosen. It's a great story of, of Jesus done on screen and, or the, perhaps The Passion of the Christ to just see again the, the, the realm by which and the means by which God showed his love to us. If you did not know Jesus before coming into this room, my encouragement to you is God loves you. God paid a great price for you. He is waiting for you to place your faith in him so that he can change you and come into relationship with you. And if you would like to talk with someone, we'll have people in the encounter room that would be glad to talk with you and to pray with you. I'll also be up front if you would like to come up here. In the end of the day, we want you to discover the love of God. And then by discovering that, you'll love him and it'll change your life. Having said that, go in the love of Christ and being ambassadors of that love so that other lives can be changed. Amen. You're dismissed.